Uh, certain families are known for certain things, uh, things that they not only do, but that they do well. In the past, uh, families actually received their surnames. Surnames were invented based on what your family did, right? So during the Industrial Revolution in England, Smith became the most common surname in England because that was most people's profession. They were Smiths. They were smithing something. John? <laughs> so the, the elders sat down about eight years ago, and we began to... Uh, Look at the story of our family. We asked ourselves a question. If Anthem was to have a surname, what would our surname be? What is the thing that for 120 years of our, of our uh, family's existence, what are some of the things that have defined us? And uh, we came up with, we, we identified three things, worship, leadership, and mercy and justice. We said over 120 years of, of this family existing, those are three of the things that this family, there seems to be a grace of God over this family uh, to do those things. That's not to say we've got a corner on the market. Um, we are the only church that does those things well. <coughs> Excuse me. That's not to say that um, that's the only things that we do well, but that those are just three things that we identified um, that there, there, was, there seemed to be over our existence a grace of God in the DNA of this family for us to do those things well. And today I want to speak about worship. And uh, I'll sit. I sit every month with new people wanting to join Anthem, and I ask them two questions. I say, Why did you, how did you come to Anthem the first time, and uh, what made you come back the second time? Because I want to understand something of the redemptive thread of how did you end up here? Was there, how many people were involved in you coming to Jesus, and then how many people were involved in you coming to be a partner in the local church? Um, I want to understand, was it, something, was it a social media post that we put out? Was it something that God did that got your attention in somebody else's life? That, that put, I, I want to know that story because I want to be able to celebrate it. And then I also want to know what made you come back the second time because I want to understand what we're doing well and what can we keep doing better. What made you come and what made you come back after you'd come? And virtually without change, people say, what made you come back was I felt welcomed, felt part of the family, and it was the worship. And that's not because we sing really well. Lord knows that's not because we sing really well. Because I've heard some of you singing. I'm one of those people that's singing. It's not because we sing well. It's because we worship well. There's a difference between singing and worship, and we'll get into that in a minute. I think it's our musicians, I think it's our worship leaders, but I, I know that it's the people of Anthem who are worshipers. And so when, you, when people join a family, you, you can quite easily get caught up in what the family is doing without understanding why they do it and how we've been able to sustain the grace of God in a particular area for over 120 years of existence. And so I want to talk about worship, and I want to teach us what it means to worship. And perhaps if you're sitting on the outside of the family and you've loved visiting for a while, I want to give you a little bit of insider information into one of the things that makes this family tick into our DNA. One of the best ways, if you, if you are sitting on the outside wondering, how can I integrate better into this family? One of the best ways you can integrate into a family is to do the things that they love doing. Do the things they're good at, right? If you, I'll leave it at that. You, you, you might think, and you might have heard that the church is full of self-centered people, but I believe that the church should be full of Christ-centered people. What the gospel does is it takes us out of the world with ourselves at the center, and it places us, and it reorientates our entire lives around a different center, Christ. A few years ago, we bought a new car, or 
a second-hand car, but from a dealership. And I was driving it home, and as, as we started going down the M19, it started making this noise. I'm not a mechanic, but it wasn't great. <laughs> the whole car was shuddering. It just wasn't good. And so I, I turned it around quickly and then drove it slowly back up the hill, uh, back to the dealership. I said, guys, there's something wrong, seriously wrong with this car. Uh, thinking to myself, it's a fatal flaw. I'm going to have to get rid of the car. Here we start the process all over again. Turns out they hadn't done the wheel balancing and alignment. Very small thing. Wheel balancing and alignment. All of the wheels were out of alignment. So they, were, they were turning in different size circles at different times. Made the car virtually undrivable. What they needed to do was to be balanced and to be aligned. In other words, they needed to be reorientated. And as I become more Christ-centered, and as I become less self-centered, what happens is my entire life gets reorientated around a different center point. I start to live in rhythm with everything that God has created, and I start to move in unison with the rest of His body. That's what it means to worship, for Christ to be the center pivot that my life revolves around, and the other four ties, I move in unison with them. The rest of the body, I move in unison, together, in unity with them. <clears throat> so if you found this church, or any other church that you've been a part of in the past, to be filled with people who are self-centered, all I can say is, I'm sorry. Can you recognize that we're all on a journey towards Jesus? We're all on a journey towards reorientating our life around a different center point. And sometimes it just needs a little bit of balancing and alignment. I'd also expect that as the individual, as the collective has grace for an individual, that the individual would also have grace for a collective. Right? As a church has, has grace for an individual who is broken and sinful, so an individual would have grace for a community who is also broken and sinful. Grace is a connective tissue that weaves our stories together, away from ourselves and towards Christ. Worship is choosing something greater over something lesser. In this case, God over ourselves. That's worship. And so every time I choose God over myself, I'm worshiping. Every time I choose to do something God's way and not my own way, I'm worshiping. Every time I choose to follow and adopt the culture of the kingdom that I'm adopted into, not the culture of the kingdom that I was born into, I'm worshiping. I was adopted into a kingdom that has a culture, but I was also born into a kingdom that has a culture. And so many of us live with the culture of the kingdom that we were born into and not the culture of the kingdom that we were adopted into and born again into. Every time I choose this one, over that one, I'm worshiping. Worship is the only expression that tells me that there is a God and that he's not me. You only ever worship something that is greater than yourself. And so when I worship God, I'm reminding myself that God is greater than me. See, every single one of us in this room was created to be a worshiper. And every single one of us in this room is a worshiper. None of us have the option to choose to be a worshiper or not to be a worshiper. The only choice that we have is what we worship. We are all worshipers. Whether you think you are, whether you think you're not, you are a worshiper. Your only choice in the matter is what you worship. Some people worship money. Some people worship their kids. Some people worship sport. There's so many things that people worship earlier. But I said, so many, so many things that people worship. But as I said earlier, 
We only worship things that are greater than ourselves. And so because people are worshiping things that are less than themselves, we end up with a crippling pandemic of low self-esteem. We were designed to worship something greater than ourselves. We worship something less than ourselves. And we think to ourselves, the thing that I'm worshiping, I must be worth less than that because I'm worshiping it. And then we wonder why we have such a self-esteem problem. Well, it's quite easy because we're worshiping something that is less than our worth. When when we worship God, we're worshiping not only somebody who is greater than ourselves, but somebody who places the greatest value back on us. And so when I worship God, the thing that I, the person that I give the most worth to gives the most worth back to me. When last was the thing, if you're worshiping something that's not God, when last did that thing give you worth? The money that you worship, did it give you worth? The kids that you worship, does, do they give you worth? The job that you worship, the status that you worship, does it give you worth or does it only suck worth from you? It just takes it. When I give worth to God, when I worship God, he puts that worth back on me and he says the thing that I worship doesn't worship me, but he gives value to me. You today struggling with poor self-esteem. It could be that you are worshiping things that are lower than you. It could be that you're placing value on things that are of a less value than you. One of the ways that we get a healthier picture of ourselves is to worship God and then to believe the worth that he places on us. We can only worship something greater than ourselves, something that says we are valuable. So we can easily measure what we worship by how it consumes my, my thought life, where it sits in my decision-making matrix, and how much time, money, and energy I'm prepared to spend on it. If you think you're not a worshiper, Why don't you do a worship audit of your life? Do a worship audit. How much time does it occupy in your mind? Where does it sit in your decision-making matrix? And how much time, money, and energy are you prepared to throw at it, spend on it, invest in it? I think if if all of us were to do a worship audit, we would be quite shocked by the results. We would realize that we are all all worshipers, and not all of us are worshiping God. And those of us that are worshiping God, we're not worshiping only God. (laughs) We worship other things too. So the problem is that we were created to become like the things that we worship. Because we were created to worship God, that makes perfect sense. (laughs) The, The issue is, when we worship things other than God, those are the things that we begin to become like. And so we don't start to look like money We don't start to look like status or PlayStation, but they do begin to define our character. Their spirit begins to determine what your spirit looks like. Do you know that everything, so we said that we, we can't choose whether or not we worship, we only choose what we worship. Did you know that everything you worship has a spirit? Everything that you worship, everything that you give value and worth to, has a spirit attached to it. And the more I give worship to it, the more I give value and worth to it, that spirit begins to define what my spirit looks like. If you are worshiping created things and not the creator, that spirit, the spirit that begins to define what your spirit looks like is what Paul calls in Ephesians the the spirit of the age. He says in Ephesians chapter 2, it wasn't so long ago 
that you were mired in that old stagnant life of sin. You let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. You filled your lungs with polluted unbelief, and then you exhaled disobedience. We all did it. All of us doing what we felt like doing, when we felt like doing it, all of us in the same boat. It's a wonder that God didn't lose his temper and do away with the whole lot of us. Instead, immense in mercy and with incredible love, he embraced us. He took our sin-dead lives and made us alive in Christ. I said earlier that we don't get to choose whether or not we worship. We only get to choose what we worship. But we also don't get to choose whether or not our worship is spiritual. We only get to choose the spirit that we worship. So if you're thinking to yourself, I'm, I'm not worshiping another spirit, but I am worshiping a thing. Unfortunately, you don't get to choose whether or not your worship is spiritual. Your worship is spiritual. You're just worshiping the wrong spirit. And that spirit will begin to define what your spirit looks like. And so the world is full of people that don't consider themselves spiritual, but whose lives are spiritually defined and shaped by what they worship without them even being aware of it. The world is full of those people, and unfortunately, so is the church. Full of people whose spirits are shaped by the spirit of the world and not the spirit of God, because that is what their lives worship. And as Mark taught us last week so excellently, it's not necessarily our deepest desires that form us, it's our strongest desires. And our strongest desire is not always our deepest desire. My deepest desire is to worship God and be in communion with Him. My strongest desire is to sleep in and eat junk food. <laughs> And stay up late to watch rugby. So if you've been coming to Anthem for a few weeks now, and our culture is still quite foreign to you, can I ask you two things? Simply trust God and worship Him with us. Take a risk. We're all on a journey to becoming more like Jesus. And when we start to worship Him, and when you start to worship Him and you join in on that journey, you'll find that our culture will be less and less foreign to you. And you'll find that your spirit starts to look a little bit less like the spirit of the age, like the spirit of the world, and a little bit more like the spirit of Jesus. So worship isn't coming once a week and singing songs. Worship isn't even singing every day. So the million rand question, then, why do we sing? Why do we sing together? So music is a gift that God has given us to glorify himself. There's very few things that we can all do together while still being in unity, right? There's a lot of things that we can do together. I mean, people sit on their phones together all the time. If you go to a school before they banned cell phones, there was a thousand kids together on their phones, but not in unity. Singing is one of the things that we can do all together that allows us to still be in unity. That's why we sing during worship times. God is not interested in what our mouths sound like, but he's interested in what our hearts sound like. And that should make most of you stoked. Because I've heard what some of your mouths sound like. Singing is a biblical expression of worship, and, and it's, one of the, it's, it's probably the thing that's most acceptable for 150 of us to do at the same time, together, in unity. That's the key, in unity. So biblically, worship consists of singing, reading scripture, tithing, prayer, communion, 
giving offerings, taking care of the needy. All of these are acts of worship. But God is looking for people who will worship Him, not only people who will sing to Him. God isn't, we're not singing God to sleep, right? He doesn't want to be sung to, He wants to be worshipped. Singing is an expression of worship, but God is far more interested in the heart of worship not only the expression. Jesus in Matthew chapter 15 confronts the Pharisees and he says to them, you, you are hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, when, when, when he said, uh, these people honor me with words, but their hearts are far away. They honor me, they pay lip service to me, but their hearts are far from me. He says, I'm, not, I'm not interested in what you sound like. I'm not interested in the words that come out your mouth. I'm interested in what comes out of your heart. God's not impressed with what you sound like. He's not impressed if you sing in tune if you know all the lyrics and the, minor, and the minor diminished fifth augmented seventh chord, doesn't impress God. What is interested in your heart song, does the worship coming out of your mouth match the worship that comes out of your heart? Jesus in John chapter 4 um, has an encounter with a Samaritan woman around a well, and, and they speak about worship, and they speak about mission, and then he says, uh, he says two things about worship. If, if you're going to worship, it must be in two things. He says, if you're going to worship, those that worship the Father must worship in spirit, and they must worship in truth. Your spirit is that which comes alive when you become a Christian. That's what your spirit is. We have to worship God with our spirits because our spirit is eternal, and what is eternal in us has to connect with a being that is eternal. That's why we have to worship in spirit, because our spirit is what is eternal. Eternity must connect with eternity and pull me forward. There's a future that's better than this earth, that's bigger than this earth. Our earthly nature is made up of things like emotions and feelings and circumstances and the people around us. And too many people base their worship on God, of God on what's going on around them, that I have a good day. Did the girl that I'm vibing with text back to me? I'm feeling good, feeling positive. So I'm, because I'm feeling good and feeling positive, today I'll worship. But then next Sunday, not feeling good, not feeling positive. So what happens? I don't worship, right? What have I done? I've based my, I've based my worship on things that are temporal, not on things that are eternal, as Jesus says, spirit. What is eternal in me has to connect with something that is eternal with God. My worship has to be of an eternal nature. And then he says it also has to be in truth. That means my life needs to measure up to my worship. Somebody once, somebody once said Christians don't need to speak lies. They sing them in their songs. If I keep telling my wife that I love her, but I also keep having affairs with other women, I think it's fair that she would question my love for her. It's fair, right? Yet so many of us come on a Sunday and we say, Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I love you. And then for the rest of the week, we spend, we spend the rest of the week worshiping things that are not God, essentially committing spiritual adultery. And then we want to worship in truth. True worship is us saying yes to what God is doing, and yes, to what God is saying. So in order for us to keep operating under the grace that God has given Anthem to worship, we need, we need to know what God is saying and doing in Anthem. How many of us know what God has been speaking to Anthem about recently? Many Christians know what God has been doing at Bethel, or what He's been doing through Maverick City recently, because we download their podcasts and we follow them on Instagram. But how many of us know what God has been saying to Anthem 
recently. So we, we all worship God, but we also, what it means to be a family is we buy into Anthem's expression of worship. Worshiping in truth means that my life is worship. Every time I choose God over myself, I remind myself that He is God, I'm not, and it's worship. And you've heard me speak about integrity here before, and, and I've said what it means to have integrity is I can draw a straight line between what I believe and how I act. That's what it means to have integrity. And most of us live with varying degrees of integrity. We all want to do better in certain areas. We know what we need to do, and so often we just don't do it. I'm a very snacky person. I snack a lot. I don't snack as much as Sithle, whose nickname is literally Snacks. <laughs> but I do snack a lot. Where's he? Shit the back. <laughs> I know, that I, need to, I know that it's not good for me. I know that I need to do better, and I, I just don't very often. So if I'm brutally honest, what that means is I actually don't have integrity with my eating plan. What I believe I should be doing is not always the thing that I do. Therefore, I, in that area of my life, I lack integrity, if I'm brutally honest. I'm sure I'm the only one in the whole auditorium. <laughs> how I believe and how, what I believe and how I live has to be a straight line. Jesus says there has to be a straight line by how you live and how you worship. If there's not, then you aren't worshiping in truth. It was always God's intention for, uh, to create beings that would worship Him and not themselves and then display His splendor. Did you know that one of the things that Jesus did when He came to earth was to redeem worship for Himself, to purchase back worship for Himself? Satan, or the devil, when he was created, he was actually created as a being that led worship. He led all of creation in worship. He was created to worship. But pride entered his heart and he chose himself. And Ezekiel chapter 28 says this. This is what the Lord says. You, Satan, were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God, and every precious stone adorned you. Your settings and mountings were made of gold. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. You were anointed as a guardian cherub or an angel. So I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until wickedness was found in you. Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. And so I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God and I expelled you, guardian angel, from the fiery stones. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to earth and I made you a spectacle. I made a spectacle of you before kings. So Satan, this, this being, created beautiful to give value and worth to God, to worship God, looks at himself and he says, look how beautiful I am. He says, it can't be that something this beautiful was created to worship something else. Surely I was created to worship myself. And he goes on to say in Isaiah chapter 14, how you've fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn. You've been cast down to the earth, you who once lay low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned in the mount of the assembly in the utmost heights. I will ascend above the top of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. 
but you were brought down from, to the realm of the dead, to the depths of the pit. And so pride enters his heart. And instead of the heart of his worship being God is worthy, the heart of worship becomes I am worthy. And, and then we see in Genesis chapter 3, he, he comes and he tempts Adam and Eve with that same thing. He says, God is not trustworthy. God is not worthy of trust. He's, he's trying to, he's, God's actually trying to deceive you by keeping you from the tree of life. He says, put yourself at the center. Why don't you just go and eat of the tree of life? And as they eat from the tree of life, what they taste is not life, it's death. Because they've put themselves at the center. They haven't put God at the center. And we see in Matthew chapter 4, when uh, Satan comes to Jesus in the wilderness and he tempts him, and he says to Jesus, uh, confirm that I am the being. Jesus, confirm that I am the being that is worthy of praise. Confirm that I am the being that uh, is at the center of everything that's being created. All you need to do is bow down and worship me. And Jesus, uh, Jesus rebukes him. And, we, and then we see Jesus redeeming worship. Matthew 26, in verse 36, it says this, He went away, Jesus, a second time in the garden of Gethsemane, and he prayed. This is just before he goes to the cross. My Father, if it's not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back again, he again found his disciples sleeping because they were tired. So he left them and went away once more. And he prayed the third time, saying the same thing. See, worship, added, worship has at its heart, not my will, but yours be done. The heart of worship, not my will, but yours be done. It has, God, I don't understand it all. I don't feel like it, but I'll do it your way. You are the center, not me. It's the businessman who could easily do a cash transaction and not pay tax on it, but he chooses to declare it anyway. It's the couple who are dating, and they choose to remain celibate, despite what their flesh is telling them to do. It's the broken lady that comes into church, and for the first time, chooses to believe that she's loved by God, against everything that she's believed in the past. It's the man who for the first time says, Jesus, I love you, and it feels so foreign to him because he's never said it to anybody else. It's the countless people all over the world that every second of every day are saying no to themselves and yes to God. Not my will, not my will, but yours be done. It's acknowledging that everything around me revolves around Christ, not me. It's even at the lowest point of my life, before I go to the garden, of, before, before I go to the cross, the lowest point of my life, if it's just me, I've asked my friends three times, just pray with me. I, they've deserted me. They've left me. It's just me. I'm all alone. It's something that I don't want to do. But nevertheless, Father, take this from me. But if, if there is no other way, not my will, but yours be done. I don't understand it, but not my will, yours be done. So if you've come into this family over the last two or three years and you've thought to yourself, I love the worship here, that's what it is that's drawn you. It's not that we've got the most overboard musicians and tech team. They're all competent and skilled, but before that, they're all people whose heart song sounds the same as their mouth song. For 120 years, this family has been a family who doesn't only sing well, but who worships. We're a family who place Christ at the center of our lives and we allow him to reorientate our entire being, to move in rhythm with creation as it worships. Not only in rhythm with creation as it worships, but in unity with each other. 
Never underestimate the power of unity in worship. That's why we sing together. And that's why it's better for you to sing with people sing with people that don't necessarily have great voices, it's better for you to be with them singing than it is in your shower or your car by yourself. Because you can't sing in your shower in unity. You can't sing in your car in unity. That's why it's good for you to be here. That's why it's good for you to be with a community of believers that can worship in unity. The Bible says that where there's unity, God commands a blessing. It's not, it's not just the blessing of God. God commands a blessing. Do you want to live under the blessing of God? I'm, I'm not talking about the incidental blessing of God. I stumbled into the blessing of God. It was just, I was luck. I stumbled into God's blessing. I did something clever and, and good and a few things lined up and God blessed me. No, I'm, it, God, God says, I command a blessing. Where you dwell in unity, where you worship in unity together, where your heart songs are all the same, you live under the commanded blessing of God. God says, let there be blessing. Uh, as he said in the beginning, let there be light, he commands, let there be blessing. Where you're in unity, let there be blessing. Some, some of us don't live under the blessing of God because we don't live under the unity of the believers. We want the blessing of God but we don't want to live in unity with people that are hard to be in unity with. Because being in unity costs us. It's far easier to just sing in my car and then say to myself, I've worshipped. Yeah, you've sung. You might have worshipped, but you haven't worshipped in unity. Come and worship in unity. If not with us, then with another community of believers. Just do it and see what God releases over your life. This family worships in unity with Christ at the center and we worship in spirit and in truth. What is eternal in us has to connect with something that is eternal and that's God. Remember that we don't get to decide if we will worship. All we get to decide is what we will worship. Worship God only who is eternal and worship in truth. Sing words that are a true reflection of how you live or at the very least, how you want to live. Don't come week after week and sing songs about how you trust Jesus and then the rest of the week you're consumed, you're consumed by worry and doubt and fear and anxiety and you, 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 and you come on a Sunday and say, Jesus, I trust you. That's not worshiping in truth. Let the words that you sing be true of your life or the desire of your life, not only in a moment on a Sunday, but for the rest of your week too. Can you stand with me, please? What it means to be a Christian is that I remove myself and I place Jesus at the center of all creation. I choose to give up my life so that I can inherit his. I ask God to forgive my sins, to restore an imbalance and a lack in my life, a relationship with God that I was created to have. I can't worship in spirit if my spirit has never been made alive. If I've never been born of the spirit, I cannot worship in spirit. To be a Christian is to keep choosing Jesus as the one that we worship over and over and over again. If you've never asked God to forgive you of your sins through his son Jesus, 
so that your eternity with him can be secure, so that you can have a relationship with him here on earth. It'll be my privilege to pray for you and to pray with you. I'm not going to ask you to do anything except raise your hand so that I can pray with you. Is there anyone here this morning? I want to pray for the rest of us. Father, thank you for your son, Jesus. Jesus, thank you for coming to earth to show us a way to live and to make a way for us to be with our Father. Thank you for sending your Holy Spirit to lead us, to guide us, to comfort us, and to empower us. Thank you that we were created to worship. We know that the Bible says that if we were silent, if we for some reason didn't worship, that the rocks would cry out, that all of creation would do our job for us. Please would you make us into beings that worship you. As your disciples asked you, Jesus, to teach them how to pray, would you teach us how to worship? We want to be more like you. Let us worship you so that we can become like you. I pray for every person here who has placed themselves at the center of their story. Would you dethrone us today? Would you... And, would, and we choose to place you, Jesus, at the center of not only our lives, but of all of creation. We choose to trust you. We choose to obey you. We love you. And we worship you. In Jesus' name. Amen.